Welcome to the podcast, the world of sports and the world around it. I'm your host, Henry Curry, a sports journalist that will be taking you to those exciting stories from athletes and others you won't hear anywhere else, giving you relatable and inspiring content for fans and non-sports fans alike. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode five of the podcast. I'm here with my good friend, William Ramirez. William is a psychiatric nurse and a UCI alumni. Will, how you doing, my man? You know what, man? I'm blessed to be here today. I'm good. This fine morning, I uh, woke up uh, ready to go. Woke up in a good mood. Had my uh, Platino banana shake, as I do every morning. There you go. And I'm here to go. All right. That's good, man. That's good to hear. Um, how, you, how you been, man? How you been throughout this... Uh, the whole craziness of, you know, the, just the pandemic and all the things we've been enduring this year. You know what, man, that's a, that's a question that, I mean, it just brings back so much, uh, brings in so many thoughts, so many different ways to go with it. I think, you know, it's, we've survived, you know, that's most importantly. Um, I've been one of the fortunate ones to where the coronavirus has not um, hit my house. Well, it has, but it has not led to lasting damages and impact. Um, it's been scary, man. Not going to lie. Uh, you know, being someone with a couple parents, you know, um, with a lot of underlying health conditions, including those that are clearly outlined by the CDC as being risk factors, including like, you know, heart conditions, diabetes. Um, it's been nothing but scary. You know, at the beginning of it. <laughs> I almost kind of wanted to leave my job and just stay home, bunker down, because I didn't want to put my parents at risk. You know, I didn't want to be the one that brings home this disease, you know, this virus that we really didn't know much about in, in March and February in April. Um, and it was scary. It was something that was in my mind every day, you know, going into work as a nurse. Obviously, it was I was very aware of the situation. Um, and yeah, I, you know, we had to take a day to day. Um, and thankfully, you know, like I said, we've survived. Um, my family's okay. Uh, my extended family's okay, but it's, it's been scary, man. And it's been a journey that is not over yet. And I think that some of the worst times may still be ahead, unfortunately. Yeah. That, that's a scary yeah. thing. That's why I'm excited to bring you on board because I want to get your, your, your perspective on, you know, everything that's been going on, especially from, you know, being a nurse, especially, um, before we get into, especially because I know you're a former athlete yourself, and so many things are prevalent in the world of sports where, you know, coronavirus is, um, is um, you know, a huge problem. It's a huge problem in the safety of not just the players, but the staff and everybody involved. So first, before I get into all that, I wanted to get into, you know, your journey into the world of being a medical professional. You know, what, what, what in your life necessarily pushed you in that direction to pursue? You know, I think, Henry, it comes down to what my strengths as an individual were, what I learned them to be growing up, and what I desired to do later in life. So I've always been a people person. You know, uh, being Dominican, being from a Hispanic, a strong Hispanic heritage and culture, you know, we surround ourselves with friends and family and everyone, you know, every weekend, you know, every Friday, every Saturday, Sunday. I mean, we're over at La Tia's house, grandma's house, at a friend's house, you know, enjoying ourselves, having fun, socializing. And I wanted a job, you know, a career path where I get to do that kind of socializing, that kind of human to human interaction, you know, impact others through, you know, communication through presence. Um, I wanted to do that every day. I mean, I, someone that loves people, 
I love the energy that, you know, human experience can bring. And I felt that the medical field is a perfect place, you know, to do this. Now, granted that, you know, being in a hospital is not necessarily being in a, in a party. But I think it's a situation where if you bring the party to the hospital, you can <laughs> ma definitely make things a, a lot smoother and a lot happier for patients. No, I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, these people are literally going through the worst of their life. Oh, and yeah. if you can bring some positive energy, some positive vibes to them, I mean, it's just it helps the healing, man. It helps even if what they have is physical, maybe not emotional or, me or psychological, even if they're plagued with a physical disease like a heart condition or diabetes or whatever they may be. Um, having that positive energy, you know, releases the, we know releases those positive chemicals in your brain, releases those hormones throughout your body that just aids the process of healing. There's a lot of research uh, now, um, especially at these higher institutions like UCI and Stanford, that is showing that a patient that's more comfortable, a patient that's smiling, a patient that's having positive interactions with their healthcare professional is a lot more likely to heal um, the way they want to um, from whatever conditions they may, may be impacting them, especially heart disease. Um, this is something that's been extensively researched. And like I said, um, this these little interactions you can have with people just go a long way and being someone that comes from you know hispanic culture i wanted to use that strength in my upbringing my strength um, in compassion and communication and confidence to have an impact um into these patients going through it um especially psych nursing um and that because it's the feel you can have the most with education with the vibes because these psychiatric patients that are through emotional and psychological distress, they're the one they're not the most attuned to what you bring to the table as a person. Do you bring that positive attitude, that willingness to help them? They can sense that. And if they sense that you're there for their good, you're there with those positive vibes, that compassion, that sincerity, they're going to be more responsive to you. They're going to listen to you. They're going to follow their plan of care. And ultimately, they're going to heal and have better outcomes and hopefully change for the better and not have to come back um, no, to the hospital. Yeah, that, that's good to hear because I know, you know, from my own personal experiences, I've encountered some medical professionals that, um, you know, they don't take that type of care too seriously for themselves. Because what you mm -hmm. say in your perspective and, you know, your experiences on meeting like doctors and different nurses, that some mm -hmm. people are just mainly in it for the money. You know, there's nothing beyond that for them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a very touchy subject, uh, Henry, but it's one I'm more than willing to dive into. I do think in day-to-day, -day, you know, hospital settings in across all fields. Now, I'm only seeing the psychiatric aspect of it, yeah. but I hear, you know, from my um, classmates, from my friends, you know, about their fields. And truth is, there's a lot of these doctors and a lot of these nurses that just got into the field for the money. There's a lot of doctors that hardly spend time with their patients because their goal is to see as many patients as possible because at the end of the day, the head count is what brings the check-in. You know, how many heads did you see that day? That's what determines the bottom line. Yeah. So it's sad to see that that's their motivating factor and that leads to just atrocious, atrocious quality of care because patients are dismissed, patients are not listened to. The, the true need of the patient is never addressed because these doctors, they already come in with a set game plan for every patient. It's not individualized. They don't take the time to learn who that patient is. They don't take the time to learn their backstory, learn what's really at the bottom, at the, 
other side of it, what's really causing this distress, whether it be physical or emotional or psychiatric. Um, and yeah, it, it's sad. And nurses too. I mean, I'm talking about doctors here, but nurses too. You see a lot of people that decide to switch to nursing because at the end of the day, it's a well-paying field. It's a field that you can only work three days a week, take home a good check. And that, ref that shows. There's a lot of nurses, um, you know, even at the bigger hospitals, like I know a lot of stories from Kaiser, you know, because I am good friends with a couple Kaiser nurses that these nurses, they don't, they don't give a crap. They hardly put in the effort when a patient asks for extra help or something, they, they do it really reluctantly. And, and it really stems down to them. You know, they don't really want to make that difference. They're just there for their bottom line. And um, that just, at the end of the day, affects, you know, affects the patient care and affects our country, affects the health of our communities. And I just wish there was a way to um, cut those people out earlier. I wish there was a way to eliminate the people that are in it for the wrong reasons. But unfortunately, you know, um, it's hard. It'd be really hard to do that. Oh, yeah. Trying to pinpoint everybody that's not, you know, all there 100% for the patients, right? Yeah, it, it, it I mean... You, it'd be really hard. And then, you know, once they're in the field, it's going to be really hard to get rid of them with good justification. So, yeah, because, you know, we have a lot of laws and, and stuff protecting workers for good reasons, you know, yeah. but those, those good laws also get in the way of getting rid of the bad apples too. Kind of so, ironic, right? Yeah, it really yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, you know, the spirit of the law is, yeah, uh, is upheld, but yeah, it's, you know, Oh. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how that works. Um, <laughs> kind of want to backtrack now, especially because you're you're an interesting guy yourself in terms of you know not just nursing and being a medical professional, but you know you were surrounded by the world of sports yourself. You used to be a former baseball and football uh, player, correct? Correct, both. Yeah. yeah so, um, especially with everything going on right now, um, talking about our collegiate sports and you know just professional sports. First, first of all, I want to get I want to get your take on your experiences, you know, as an athlete, you know, before you, you immerse into the world of nursing, how did that, those experiences, you know, kind of shape you and how you are today? Just let you know, run me through that. Yeah, so. Uh, okay, so baseball, baseball was my first sport. And I started baseball at a very young age. I mean, like many Dominicans, uh, we pick <laughs> up a baseball from like the age of two, right? As soon as we can grip something. The first thing our daddies make us grip is a baseball, you know, get a feel for the ball. Because that's huge in baseball, especially for pitching. Um, but, you know, I get into t-ball and I guess immediately I'm in love with it. You know, I'm in love with baseball. I like tell my dad, hey, we got to practice every day. You know, I'm out in the front fielding ground balls, hitting off a tee in the backyard every day. And I love it. You know, as a kid, I loved it. I loved the I loved excelling in the sport. I love playing the sport. I loved being around others that enjoyed the sport. And I think as a kid, it was more about that love of that love, that passion for the game, the, the fact that it was something really fun to do. And I feel like we all have that innate, uh, you know, competitive drive as well. And I definitely had that stemming from my parents or my dad and like his family, because my dad's family is full of like, you know, profession to from collegiate to semi-professional athletes. Um, so it was in my blood, man. And Baseball, growing up, it taught me to be passionate about something. To, it taught me that when you dedicate the time to something, that you're going to excel at it. And I think, you know, that carried into a football as well. When I discovered, you know, the game of football and I, you know, I started seeing it played on the television um, little, when I was a little older because um, my football wasn't really that huge of a thing in my household. 
um, it was more when the Rams came to, or the Rams were in LA in the early 2000s. That's when my dad started getting into it. And, you know, it started becoming a thing. But I didn't start football till high school. And, you know, football was something, and it's a, here's a funny story, actually, that I wasn't supposed to ever play. My parents, you know, being Dominican, my dad being a collegiate level um, baseball player that, you know, as others will tell, he won't because he's a little shy about it. But he, all his coaches, his friends, his best friends, they tell me that, you know, your dad could have very well been pro because he was the best player on our college team. And we had other guys go minor league. Um, but he was hurt. He got hurt. He suffered a lot of injuries, broke his arm, you know, et cetera. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't know this till I found out from other people. Cause you know, my dad gets a little, you know, he's a humble about it. He's a little shy about it. You know, he probably doesn't forget about it, but um, anyways, um, I was never supposed to play football because of that reason. My parents didn't want me to get hurt. They wanted me to, first of all, not get hurt in the head. You know, they knew about this whole, you know, football head contact trauma, et cetera. Uh, they also didn't wanted me to save my, you know, time and my my body for baseball and school. So actually, the summer before freshman year, I uh, took I took summer camp money for baseball, right? And instead of signing up for baseball camp, I signed up for football camp, right? And my parents think, you know, they're not home during the summer. I'm only home. My brother's home. My parents, everyone thinks I'm going to f- baseball camp every day, but turns out by like. Two- because I was based on like, wait, I need more money because I don't have money or I didn't save any money, you know. Uh, so it was time to play, uh, pay baseball dues. And that's when I had to tell my parents, you know, the truth. I had to let them know what I had used that other money for. My dad was okay with it. We got a huge chuckle out of it, but my mom was torn. Anyways, um, uh, Hey, it's kind of laggy a little bit. Are you there? Oh, no, no, yeah, I can, I can see you. I can see you, but uh-huh. I, I can hear you. Don't worry. Just keep going. Okay, okay. So long story, you know, you know going from... Sorry, everybody. Zoom is having a little bit of uh, technical difficulties. Hey, um, I'm moving uh, to another part of the house. Yeah, yeah, no are you, are, Okay, okay. Because I think the Wi-Fi is going to be better over here, even yeah. though I have an extender. Definitely but right. hey, man, um, going off of like what I learned, you know, that was the story of how I got into football, which, uh, you know, don't go behind your parents' back. But I think what I learned from there, hey, when it's something you really want to do, you know, I learned from a young age, you got to pursue it. It's your life. And, you know, I never looked back. I loved football. Um, it, football taught me, you know, most importantly, football taught me that we're all – in this world, we're all here to play a role. You know, we're all here to do our part in making the community, making the people around us better. Because in football, you know, you take it down to the bare bones of an offensive play. An offensive run only works when everybody does their fake. Everybody hits their block. Everybody goes exactly where they're supposed to go. Now, if you're trying to play all-star, trying to play superstar and do your thing, do your own kind of scheme, it doesn't work. Like, for example, if I'm playing tight end and I decide, hey, this route's not going to get me open. I'm going to try to do something different. Well, guess what? Now, my, my wide receiver on my right isn't going to be open for the bigger play because I didn't go where I was supposed to go to make that opening. Um, so it taught me to play the role. It taught me to be okay and, you know, be okay and be satisfied in doing my part and what I excel in. 
Um, and it also taught me the value of preparation and the baseball alike. It, it taught me that when I prepare for something, I prepare for an at bat, I prepare to face a certain offense, I prepare for a game. It taught me, you know, that that's invaluable. It's something that, you know, is going to make the difference of success or not. You know, like in the real world, you got to prepare for an interview. In the real world, as a nurse, you got to prepare to take care of certain patients. You got to, you know, take what you learn from report and realize, okay, this is probably what I'm going to do with them, you know, where it be X, Y, Z of the plan of care. Um, and I think the most important thing I got from sports is that it taught me that failure is okay. In baseball, if you fail two out of three times, you only succeed one out of every three at bats, you're an all-star. That's bottom line. And, you know, it doesn't really translate like that in the real world. Because if you fail at a job two or three times, you're probably seeing your way out the door pretty quickly. Now, what it does teach you, <laughs> yeah, right? Like if, if, like, you know, you're a heart surgeon and you decide to butcher a, a surgery two out of three times, you're not going to get any more patients. You're going to get sued. <laughs> but listen, man, like in base, but in reality is in baseball, you know, you fail out of two or three times and you know what? That's okay because those two failures are going to translate to you learning from them and you fa- succeeding that third at bat when it's the clutchest moment. So I think uh, um, a memory and uh, please cut me off here from going too far into it, but a distinct memory that comes back to me is we had uh, a clinching game my senior year. It was actually senior day. Uh, I was playing first base. I was uh, batting uh, like fifth or cleanup. I'm not sure. And I had struck out or popped out the first two, three at bats, but came, you know, that fourth at bat, the one that really mattered. I learned, I learned what I did wrong before I made a couple adjustments and sure enough, I drive in a couple key runs and we clinched, we beat our rivals. We clinch a playoff spot and we're on our way to CIF. So that's something that like sticks to me, something that you know, reminds me, hey, Will, like, it's okay to fail as long as you learn from it and you draw upon that. It's, it's becomes a success and it's going to lead to further success. And I think that's one of the most important lessons we could just learn as, you know, as humans is, is learning from our failures and being okay with it. Yeah, um, so not, I, uh, not the third, right? Not the two out of three. Yeah, no, <laughs> because, you know, they should have failed in, in their simulation labs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when the life is not on the line. But you know what? Henry, if, you know, you do end up messing up a, a surgery and it really was, you know. If it's minor, certain... you know, if it's minor, yeah, okay, you know. You yeah. But then, like, yeah. you know, heart surgery and then things like that are a different type of caliber. Right. Those are the guys that need 20 years of training and for yeah. a good reason. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, no, I'm so glad that you brought the, the distinctions between um, sports and being a medical professional together because, um, well, first of all, before I, trans- before I transition into, um, into this next topic, I want you to be 100% honest with me. You're a big guy yourself. During your yeah. football days, you know, did, did you break any bones yourself? Did you? Uh... I definitely had like a lingering English. Uh, English no, no, no. no. Issue. Did you uh-huh. injure or, or break someone else's bones? Well, I'm pretty sure like uh, there were a couple teammates that I dislocated a couple jaws. <laughs> and, um, there was uh, there, there might have been a quarterback I gave like a concussion to a couple times. Hey, you know, there there was four, four, four there was definitely listeners. those hits. Yeah, uh, and I know for for my listeners, uh, Will the big dude. So uh, I'm talking about like meaty. You know, so he's got he's got those uh, Dominican jeans. So um, yeah, those go those go a long way. But 
Um, no, I'm like I said, I'm glad you brought those um, two distinctions uh, together because I wanted to get both perspectives, you know, of your life as a nurse and your life as an athlete, because here's the thing. Right now, we're just in such an unprecedented health crisis that we've, I feel like we've gotten to the point where sports don't care anymore. Or is that just me? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I do. I do feel that way as well. And, you know, it, I think, okay, I think, uh, you know, an ESPN reporter kind of brought this together beautifully as far as the NFL you know, when they're making the comparison that, hey, you know what? These owners don't care if there's five or six or 10 people out with the coronavirus because you know what? They're used to having five players, 10 players, 15 players on the IL every week, you know? And, and that's sad. You know, the sad, the, the fact that we're complacent and we're just okay with having people, athletes, pe- like real people with families and friends get sick with with this disease that we know was deadly um especially for those vulnerable i think i think that kind of ties up the knot um how he presented it that yeah these guys are just taking it as uh, basically a routine thing now and it's it's sad because because i guess it can be a good and a bad thing right because now that it's kind of more routine i think the people are less in the hysteria side and then more on the (laughs) what it do type of side but I feel yeah. like, like the MLB, uh, MLB and the NFL, they kind of, I mean, um, the, the Tennessee Titans recently, they had an outbreak in their, mm-hmm. in their uh, locker room with people with the coronavirus. Uh, not to right. mention the, the Cardinals and the Marlins, they had outbreaks. Um, but they, those, remember when, when one case was enough back then in March to shut down the whole league and everything? Now, yeah. it's like, like you said, it's more routine, you know? Yeah, there's there's like a fine line that I feel like is kind of being pushed. You know, there's a there's a fine line between like okay, we know what to do, or mm-hmm. a, and then you know the other side is we don't really care. Like we just want to keep this going because they know money's on the line, they know jobs are on the line, and you know those are um you know I guess it can be justification in terms of job. Yes, that's a huge justification in terms of you know keeping these jobs in order to avoid layoffs and stuff. But when it comes to money, you know these leagues don't want to lose that money. Uh, the NBA was able, you know, we see they're successful with having a bubble where they have zero cases of coronavirus. But the thing is, you know how prevalent it really is in, in terms of the disease, because in your own hospital, um, even though, yeah, you work with psychiatric patients and focus more on the mental side, uh, but especially, you know, in the beginning of all this, where you face with outbreaks yourself? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, unfortunately, my hospital did have a couple outbreaks i would say um there was one particular outbreak on not the unit i worked at most of the days but the neighboring unit they had to shut down the whole thing i mean we're talking every single patient got the virus every single patient showed symptoms staff members had to take several weeks off some of them got really sick some of them got over it pretty quickly a lot of them kept working through symptoms and it, it was it was pretty it was pretty scary to see. I mean, just next door, and I'm thinking, wow! Like just yesterday, before they shut this down, these staff members were coming in and out of my unit too. We probably have it as well. Sure enough, there was a couple staff members on my unit, including myself, that turned out with symptoms. Um, I I had four, I think four, three or four positive cases around me. I 
had all the symptoms. I felt ill. I had that dry cough. I had a fever one day, probably, uh, you know, a little temp the next day, um, just felt all these, you know, symptoms. I had GI distress, which has now been shown to be a key symptom in COVID uh, for some. And I got tested, you know, as, you know, as you should, and as guidelines uh, asked us to, and I tested negative. Um, so I had all these symptoms and I was around the virus, but I tested negative and that shows that, you know, at the very um, core of our issue here, public health issue, the tool we use to guide us, I don't think was all that accurate. I mean, I heard people reporting numbers as low as 50 or 60% accuracy rate um, as far as this testing tool. But going back to the outbreak situation, um, it, you know, by seeing it play out in real time at my hospital right next door, I realized, holy heck, this thing can spread. And, you know, hearing that people were comparing this on mainstream media to the flu was disgusting because let me tell you, I've had the flu and I actually picked it up at the hospital I currently work at from my manager and my coworker. Only two of us, three of us, picked up the flu and we all like there's like 10 of us that work in close proximity probably more the coronavirus is a completely different animal i mean one person probably brought it into that unit next door and everybody ended up getting it that shows you like within how easily it's spread especially in quarters like that where there's constant contact constant droplets being tossed around um in close space close proximity it's a different whole different animal man and we've yet to learn the extent of how easily transmissible this is but what we do know and what the cdc has repeatedly focused on is that it is way more transmissible than the flu maybe not as much as measles but it's there and it's it's potent and it kills so yeah, it was scary, man. I mean, bottom line, it was scary and it was a time of not being sure what to do. It was a time of, again, like, was do I even go to work? At, at the beginning? It was towards the beginning, yeah. I, I want to say this was in April, like okay. early April. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I remember you mentioned um, another time that CDC guidelines changed pretty drastically, right? From the beginning of the quarantine to now? Yeah, um, so yeah, it's been a fluid, it's been very <laughs> fluid and, and kind of like, downstream and upstream because at one point we were talking about how masks aren't a thing you know masks you know hell with masks they don't work but then we realized masks work you know and we still had major politicians major you know faces of our media talking about how masks are in futile and you shouldn't wear them um and we had a bunch of people protesting the use of masks and, and the emergency orders to wear masks and then as far as research you know at first we were thinking oh my god this thing is for sure airborne and then we went to droplet and then now we're at which means airborne which means it's just in the air it could be easily like if i'm here and you're like six feet away you're probably gonna still get it too um but then we went to droplet to where like oh if you're six feet away and have a mask and i have a mask we're probably not gonna i'm probably not gonna transmit it to you now we're at this point where like oh crap i think it's we're think it's somewhere in between like it suspends in the air so they're droplets that like literally like a coronavirus, when I cough, they're out there. Like they're literally out here in the air, right? And they stay there for a while. And if someone walks by, breathe that air in, they can get it too, which is more transmissible than droplets because the droplets, by droplets, we're implying that when you cough, it just goes right to the surface. It doesn't stay in the air. So we're at somewhere in between. I don't think there's, there's sure research so far, 
But because of that, the guidelines on personal protection, on PPE, uh, equipment has changed daily, I, I, I want to say. Like it's, and, and also, um, there's a lot to be said about PPE as well, because I think part of the motivating factor for PPE change wasn't what we thought about what, what the research was on the virus, but it was more about what PPE do we have available so we can mold the evidence to keep our nurses, keep our staff, keep our employees calm. And I think that's sad. I think like, you know, as a country, that's all power. That's just, you know, we talk about being so powerful and having so much resources, having the great economy in the world. Why didn't we just go ahead and go out and get all this PPE that we possibly could have needed when we saw it coming, you know? And I think, you know, in recent days, recent weeks, we've learned that the White House might have known um, a little more than they let on early down the road. And if they had made those moves to secure what we needed, I think things could have been a lot different. See, that's the, I think that's the main issue, especially, I know the hysteria is down. And you know what, the, the general public is a lot more calm, but I feel like that's an issue in itself, you know, because calmness can also bring, you know, uh, carelessness. Yeah. And um, I feel like, I mean, that's, that's what I see, you know, when we tie it back to, uh, I mean, the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 football, their seasons were canceled and now they're bringing it back. But the thing is, here's, here's the thing. Collegiate athletes, um, their resources are scarce, you know, compared to um, professional leagues in terms of testing and, you know, the just the necessary resources they need in order to secure their health. Um, hmm. I was talking with another, with a football, the football player from Midland University and he told me, like, yeah, we've had a couple outbreaks in the locker room and stuff. And I'll be honest, it's a little scary because here's the thing, like, football is a full contact sport. Um, and those are the type of things that I feel like these leagues and these owners and everything, they're not taking into full consideration. Either. They just don't. They just don't want to, you know. Um, so yeah. I, I do understand the aspect of, like, you know, I guess we have better treatment for it now in terms of, you know, oh, we know how to go about it a lot better now. You know, it's going to it's 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 more treatable in a sense from you know these six months that we've had it um but do you think we should revert back a little bit uh, in terms of how we should care more again or do you think that's going to be synonymous to you know us freaking out again you know that's tough because i think that if we do revert back there's just the picture is just on so complicated at this point. I mean, when, when we talk about like going back on like, you know, closing up our economy, closing up our businesses, closing up our sports leagues again. I mean, there's just so much interest, you know, in play and to be like considered. I mean, going down to like sports, for example, we'll focus on the sports aspect. These college kids, you know, while they may not have the greatest resources to keep them safe, while their, you know, their health may be on the line. There's also, you know, they could also have the peace of mind that knowing that a lot of people their age don't ever have symptoms and don't have ever have serious symptoms. Now, we do know of cases, though, on rare occasion that these kids, healthy, athletic, young, end up in an ER, end up, you know, in worse conditions in the ICU. But it's so spare that I think that maybe that's what's justifying these leagues and these players continuing what they do but also these players that a lot of them have dreams of making it big making it to the next level and they know time is critical you know they know 
that they, it's now that they have to secure the bag. It's now that they have to keep getting better. It's now that they have to ball out on game day to get noticed by, by uh, pro scouts. So there's just so much, you know, from the player aspect, there's a lot of to be weighed on either side. And I think uh, the most important thing it comes down to is as a player, if you are going to choose to participate and agree with this, you have to be conscious of those around you, you know, your teammates, but also most importantly, the people you go home to, you go back to your dorm to, you go back to your apartment to, you go back like to family to, you have to be aware that, hey, I'm a high risk to be contract this. I I can't be placing players at risk. So I think that, um, you know, that being said, I think there should be strict guidelines on these kids being like bubbled into their respective dorms. I mean, these compasses with football programs are multi-million dollar industries, multi-million dollar businesses. They should be able to provide adequate housing to keep these kids in a bubble. And I think that would justify them continuing to play, even though they are still at risk to get it. But them, you know, they're putting other people at risk if they're not mindful of that too. Because there's a world around it, right? There's like like this podcast, you know, there's a world around that sport. Mm-hmm. And that's the world we got to be mindful of, you know? Yeah, we can play our game. We can ball out. We know we are very low risk. You know, you're probably more likely to die in a car crash than you are of coronavirus if you're like a 21-year-old football player. I mean, I, I don't want to say that for certain, but I could say that... <laughs> No, like I could say that almost with certainty, you know? Yeah. 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 And I can, you know, knowing the statistics of it, especially because, you know, these 21 year olds party and, you know, get wild sometimes, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's more about the world around them, you know? And when it comes down to the financial aspect of it, um, unfortunately in a capitalist country, that's, what's going to dictate I think the final word um, is what are the finances of the situation? What's going to make us keep going? But I think it becomes more about like how we're going to do it safely and ethically. Um, And that's when I say like the players need a bubble. They need to bubble themselves. If it's not going to be a team ran bubble, they need to realize that I need to bubble myself in my bubble because I don't want to put my grandma at risk. I don't want to put my friend at risk. I don't want to put my professor at risk. Uh, so, I mean, that's the it. I, and, I, you know, honestly, what I, who I fear for most is those football coaches, you know, those basketball coaches, those staff members that are older, that do have health issues. Like, what about them? You know, it's not just the players. Um, these guys also come to work every day. They also spend hours at night preparing for that big game, you know, making those plays, making those calls. Uh, those are the people that we should also be thinking about. And, um <laughs> I don't know if it's fair to ask them to come to work um, and to expect them to come to work um, with their life on the line. Because while the players may not have that issue, these coaches do. I mean, most of these football coaches are, are you know, above 50. They yeah, are older. Look at, look at Bill, uh, Bill Belichick, um, Pete Carroll, all of them. Like, they're all up there in age. And that's the thing. Like, the thing you brought up right now, these athletes are our age, you know, are around. Yeah. Um, but I think they're – they know they're aware like god there is just so much more at stake than just football because they do realize what you just brought up right now that's the essence of this damn podcast you know <laughs> the world yeah. the sports because there's just so much more um at stake in this certain situation you know and you know when you're when you're around um older people and people that are vulnerable uh, to the virus 
it becomes a huge issue, but it's, it becomes a bigger issue when finances are at stake as well. And then that's the only main focus. Um, it's going to be, I think it's difficult to dictate, like you said, in, the, in a, in a capitalist country that, you know, it's going to evidently, you know, probably choose the money over the safety of the people making that, that type of money, you know? Um, yeah. but it's a, it's a difficult issue, a, a touchy subject, I guess, um, to touch upon, but I don't know, Will, uh, you're, you're the medical expert. You're the, you're the biological, um, uh, wizard <laughs> in terms of, um, you know, just dealing with not just the, the virus itself, but in terms of, you know, having that successful vaccine come, hopefully getting us back to um, that normal life, per se. Do you think, how long, how long does that take? What, what's your knowledge on that in terms of, you know, a coronavirus vaccine that's going to be able to bring us back to normal? Because I know it's not, oh, the, the vaccine comes out one day and then we're back to normal the next day. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't. And, you know, I just want to give some background on, you know, how we know there's flu vaccines available every year, right? This is something that we've developed, you know, years ago, you know, it's been around and it changes every year, right? Every year we have to adjust to that next strain of flu. While we've been doing this process for years and years, we're still not perfect at it. We still, you know, some vaccines end up being very little to no, not even at all effective against combating that strain of virus. That being said, there is just so much, like the percentage of error, the margin of error is so large um, with vaccines because these, these microscopic beings, man, um, they, they constantly change, they constantly evolve. And, you know, just by the switch of one codon, one, one genetic, one genetic piece of their code, uh, one piece of their genetic code, I mean, our vaccine could be futile, right? And what's scary is that by letting this, this, this virus, the COVID-19, spread to all of the U.S., we've given it all the more opportunity to change, to mutate, to replicate, to better itself. Um, you know, even though it's, you know, the good thing is that the thing is not, doesn't have a brain, you know, it's not actually seeking to ch- better itself it just happens by chance but by the sheer numbers of replications that thing has gone through since it came from wuhan to when it got to us and it spread across the 50 states we're looking at a virus that may now be completely different than when it started and i know i've 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 seen a couple youtube videos on you know smart british you know columbia professors talk about how you know we're starting to see that there's a couple strains. Um, it's not just one COVID-19, but there's a couple ones. There's ones that are more easily spread. There's one that's a little deadlier. Um, and that's scary. That's telling us that, hey, man, like this vaccine is going to be all the more difficult to produce and be successful at, you know, producing. That being said, the production of a vaccine takes a, like at least a year. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Dr. Good, good old Dr. Fauci. Uh, was telling us in April, man, this thing's not going to be ready till at least mid next year. You know, we had Trump saying, oh, yeah, Bob, it's going to be great. We're going to have it done by next month, <laughs> you know, and, and, and the truth is not at all possible. I mean, the thing might like when he was saying it's going to be ready in a month, the trials may not have even started that next month, you know. Um, anyways, uh, 
going from actually producing a vaccine that's going to work to then distributing it across the nation is going to be all the more difficult. Because, you know, how vaccines work, Henry, is, you know, they, they provide herd immunity. You know, when we all get it, we, or then we, we become... Immunity? Is it herd immunity um, uh-huh. when, like, half of the population gets it? And then uh, that's, like, enough because it's going to build, like... I, don't know, I, I saw a video myself on it, um, and it was talking about herd immunity specifically, and where it was like, oh, when the uh, coronavirus vaccine comes out, Mm-hmm. be achieved through half of the population getting vaccinated is that how it yeah. works yeah i think that the threshold like percentage we need to meet varies from virus to virus i can't tell you what that percentage of the population is going to be for the coronavirus vaccine and combating covid i can't tell you because i don't think we know i don't know um i could tell you that it's probably a little greater than 50 percent um and I can draw upon a, a kind of case study of a town in Michigan where, you know, you know, there's been this huge movement of anti-vaxxers recently, right? Um, and, you know, parents not wanting to get their kids vaccinated because of some falsification of data, a huge scandal in the medical field. Uh, this one doctor said, hey, man, these vaccines, you know, they cause autism and all this other crap. Um, so we look at a case study in Michigan and a town in Michigan, I can't forget the name. I can't remember the name, but you know, their threshold of vaccine, of vaccination for, I think it was measles. Uh, it fell below like 90%. And then you started seeing a measles outbreak, like right away. Like you got kids getting measles. You had adults getting measles. Like it was scary. And measles is deadly too, right? Like people died because parents refused to vaccinate their kids. Now we're looking at like a 90% threshold. You know, this, the, the rate of vaccination fell below like 90% and people, there was an outbreak. You know, knowing that tells me that, hey, you know what? There's going to be a lot of people that are going to refuse the corona vaccine. I mean, all those people that don't want to wear masks are those same people that are not going to get this vaccine because, you know what, the side effects, you know, it's going to cause us to be retarded, you know, like, sorry about that word. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to, you know, it's going to, you know, cause our feet to grow big. It's going to turn our kids Democrat, you know, like all this junk. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but um, so yeah, it, it, it's going to be, you know, that's going to be a big challenge trying to distribute it and get people to accept it across the nation and, and meet that threshold. Like, cause like I said, we don't know. We don't know what that threshold is going to be for the coronavirus. Um, I think, you know, I want to say that our strategy at this point, you know, from the White House is let's all get it. And now we're all immune because we have the natural vaccine. Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we have we got the antibody now. But, you know, what's interesting is that the coronavirus antibody, I guess there's been recent research showing that it only sticks around for like a few months. So. There is, there has been cases in Europe of reinfection where the same person that had it before gets it again. And that's kind of scary. And that tells us that, like I said, this virus is mutating. This virus is changing. We've given it the opportunity. We've given it a whole world-sized Petri dish to grow. Um, So, yeah, that's that's my take. That's that's the same thing with the flu, right? You're going to get it again. Oh, yeah, you're going to get it again yeah. because it, it becomes a whole different strain. Like this coronavirus, yeah. it's mutating. It's becoming a new strain. Yeah, and I'm not downplaying it. Like, oh, it's just a flu. But in, in terms of yeah. like, um, when people think that the coronavirus is going to – it's here to stay. It's here yeah, to it stay. is. Like, yeah, it's, it's – uh, I, I finally – I fully understood, you know, the, the use of quarantines because, you know, 
Um, I think you explained it to me not too long ago that the reason for quarantine is that when a patient or when a person who's infected um, gets infected by the virus, you know, and they, they're able to recover, that virus doesn't have a new host, right? And then, like, that's why, you know, quarantine is so effective. And, you know, we, we see New Zealand. New Zealand is doing amazing right now because they were able to have a successful quarantine but, exactly but that's a that's exactly. a problem right now especially you know opening everything back up um sports you know going full throttle uh, without a bubble mm-hmm. um be they're thinking of, of doing a bubble for the playoffs and i think the players are finally you know fully on board with that because they see mm-hmm. you know what happened with the marlins and the cardinals mm-hmm. um but, yeah yeah man it's just this this thing is is pretty it's far from over I, I'm mm-hmm. hopeful because I see a lot of progress, not just in terms of how the public is taking it, but in terms of, you know, I, I do go outside and I see everybody. I have yet to encounter someone who has refused to wear a mask in public. Um, and I live in a pretty conservative area. So uh, thankfully, like, that's not really that big of an issue, at least, you know, prevalent for me in my own experiences, but I know it's an issue, you know, just throughout the country, uh, people that just don't want to listen to science, which I still can't believe. I still can't understand because when people say I don't believe in science, I'm, I'm like, you know, science isn't a belief system, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not. Science is literally what makes up our physical world and um, that's been going on. But um, yeah, just, just uh, I want to thank you for all your take on that because I know being a medical professional yourself and, you know, seeing the virus and what it can do firsthand, it's pretty scary. Um, but you know what, man, at the end of the day, I feel like, well, at the end of this road, actually, I feel like we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay, especially because I feel like this year has been, you know, all craziness that we've all been living. Mm -hmm. But, you know, aside from all that, I know that this, whole situation this whole pandemic has given you time to kind of focus on something else am i right um you know there's a there's a little something uh stirring up in your in your corner outside of a outside of everything. uh you want to talk about that that's right man um first of all i want to say a uh, shout out to valtese for uh for producing this beautiful shirt it actually surpassed my expectations yeah. see here we got platinum man gaming cards gaming and games uh-huh. That's just that's what I'm about right now, man. Um, you know, as you know, I've always been an avid gamer my whole life. Yeah. You know, from League of Legends to Hearthstone, an online card game, to Call of Duty, Minecraft, you name it, man. I I, I played it. Uh, now with the switch of quarantine, I've shifted my focus to card games. Um, ironically, and ironically, physical card games. You know, when I in college, it was all about Hearthstone. You know, a virtual card game I could carry everywhere on my phone, on my laptop play from anywhere I had a my collection was virtual the community was virtual um you know now I've switched more to a focus on physical gaming on physical uh card game now that being said that can be played online can be played through remote dueling to have online card games to support them um so you know but my gaming essentially is kind of like my I guess my gaming tag uh for this whole kind of uh this page i'm trying to build on instagram i'm you know i i'm trying to you 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 know a business right what was that you would consider it a business i think we are moving in that direction yeah where it's gonna become a business right now it started off as a hobby and kind of like a dream an idea 
Uh, but it's moving towards a business and a business, having this be a business is part of the whole dream. I mean, eventually, you know, talking about the end goal first, I want to have a physical card shop. I want to have like a physical gaming lounge, you know, here in the city of Downey or, you know, wherever I end up settling down. Um, I want to provide that environment um, of hype of gaming for the community. Um, Cause I mean, gaming has been my life um, besides sports. Uh, gaming has been a huge part and I want to share that with others. So what I've been doing uh, with all this quarantine time is collecting, you know, buying more Yu-Gi-Oh cards, recording myself pulling Yu-Gi-Oh cards because, you know, you get those epic pulls, those Charizards, you get those blue eyes, white dragons that are really shiny and get everyone all excited. And it's fun. You know, it's fun seeing people react. It's fun seeing, you know, those cards pop up on your hands and, you know, it's magical. It's this, it's this sense of nostalgia too that, you know, it brings you back to when you were a kid and you'd go to the Blockbuster, you go to GameStop, you go to Target and you'd ask your parents, hey, mom, can I get a pack, you know? And you end up pulling like a freaking like ultra rare, ultimate rare card and you're like freaking out. It brings me back, man. And I think it, it brings other people back too. And it kind of shares this magic um, of this game, of Yu-Gi-Oh, of Pokemon, uh, with others. And, and that's what I'm trying to do, man. And other than that, um, you know, shifting to the business aspect of it, you know, I'm buying all these cards and opening them and having fun with it, playing with them, you know, collecting them. But also in the process, I'm trying to kind of, you know, sell my extra cards uh, to those uh, others that want them on eBay. And I, honestly, I mean, being 100% transparent, I always try to give the best deal. Like I always look at what the market value is and I always try to go a little lower because I do think that some of these prices are overinflated. They're overhyped. People try to jip you, you know, people try to like take as much money as possible, but you don't, I realize you don't need to do that to make money. You, you, you providing like the best deal, out there still gets you the money still gets you the sale um and that's what i want to do is i want to share these cards at a lower cost at something reasonable i don't want to market up my cost just because it's coming from platinum man gaming no i want you to know that if it's coming from platinum man gaming that's because it's the best deal i, li I like your name by the way platinum <laughs> man gaming can you, can you talk about that why why specifically that name for your brand yeah, so as you uh, had mentioned before, I am Dominican. I'm a hairy Dominican man originated from the island of, uh, you know, not the country of the Dominican Republic. We share an island with Haiti. Um, and I, I had to, man. Platanos are something that's been there since I was born. You know, platano is a staple in the Dominican diet. There's a whole, you know, in baseball, there's a whole like meme about platanos, like platano power, like all the Dominicans get all their like yeah. power from the platanos, you know? And I think platano is what, you know, it's kind of like that iconic, uh, that iconic food in our country. You know, we make mofongo with it. We make mangu. We make all sorts of things with platanos and it's grown in our country. You know, it's what's, it's what the, you know, everyone eats, man, from the, from the rich to the poor to the middle class, everybody eats platanos almost every day. And I think it's just iconic to Dominicans. Um, and it's something that kind of, uh, you know, reflects the energy that I'm going to bring to this, you know, this, the gaming to this brand is, um, you know, Dominican energy, man. I'm going to bring positive vibes. I'm going to bring, you know, I'm going to treat you like family. I'm going to bring you, I'm going to make you feel good. You know, uh, it's just, you know, it's just what it's about. I thought you were going to say, I'm going to make you plantains. 
<laughs> yeah, man. I think you know what, man. When when I you know if I'm ever blessed enough, uh, and that's the goal to have a physical setting, I will definitely incorporate platanos into my store. <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I will. I will indeed. You know, find out how I can you know meet codes and provide a gaming lounge and a platano lounge at the same time. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, you know, you're kind of a a triple threat, um, an athlete, a nurse, and now, uh, would you say entrepreneur? Uh, you know, I, I guess. I mean, that's the word for it, right? It's like a general umbrella term for anyone trying to make something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's good. Um, you know, it, it's always good. Um, I feel like now more than ever, people are kind of finding that type of side hustle, you know, that can go away. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. For you, where do you see, where do you see Platinum Man Gaming, you know, going down the road? Because you're so immersed into the world of nursing and, you know, mm -hmm. taking care of others and everything. But you love this as well. So, like, you know, if, yeah. it, does, if it does venture off into something much bigger, where, where, mm -hmm. where would you see your life going from there? You know what, man? I... I definitely see it getting bigger. You know, I can see a community of, um, you know, especially like Hispanic uh, gamers kind of coming together, especially here in SoCal um, and kind of forming this, you know, community around Latino Man Gaming. That's something I, that's what I want to do at the end of the day is, you know, I want to build a community. I see myself building a business out of it, you know, having a physical card shop, a gaming lounge, you know, possibly with a nice little snack bar featuring plantain dishes. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I see it being something that's just going to be part of my daily life. Now I don't see myself working at this side business every day. I do see myself doing nursing at least part-time through my life, but I do see myself upon retirement from the field of nursing, um, which I do, you know, I love nursing, but I do want to retire earlier than later because I know it's something that just takes such an emotional and physical toll on us. 100%. You know, so I see this as the next step. I see this as my happy, my happy early retirement per se, um, you know, and, and this is just going to be another way where I can get back. Um, you know, I can provide a, a haven for these gamers to come together, uh, for these families to bring their kids. Um, you know, so I think that's just going to be another way to give back. And, and I think, you know, going to, you know, joining this with my career of nursing in the long run, you know, when I, I want to step into the education aspect of nursing down the road, and that's something I only have to do once or twice a week, I can run my business the other five days. So I think it's something that's very doable with how I've like kind of pictured my nursing career to pan out. Um, so I think that those are my thoughts on it right now. And it's something that I'm kind of, it's every day it's, it's growing, you know, every day I'm learning every day I'm making adjustments. And I think that's just part of the whole experience as a, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur <laughs> and, uh, a human being in general, you know, every day you kind of make those changes for the better. Yeah. You're going to be the next, uh, Jordan Belford. <laughs> you know what, man, uh, I don't know about, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that I get to keep everything uh, legal, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I definitely want to, you know, make, you know, you know, make some money for my kids and uh, oh, yeah, the community, definitely. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, without, without the quaaludes and all that stuff, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, th Will, thank you so much. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Uh, before mm. I let you go. Is there anybody or, you know, just as many people as you want, just give a quick shout out to? 
Yeah, man, I want to give a shout out to my parents, first of all, for uh, helping me out, uh, allowing me, giving me the permission uh, to ultimately kind of start this, uh, jumpstart this little side hustle in their own home, you know, in my room. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been a struggle with my mom because, you know, she's a you know, Hispanic mom, neat freak and everything. So I've had to kind of abide by her guidelines, you know, yeah. here in the house. I want to give a shout out, you know, for to her to having that patience. Going to shout out to my girlfriend for supporting me and my dorky self, because um, you know, at the, you know, she lo- I could tell that you know now more than ever she really does love me for who I am. Uh, <laughs> she's never been appalled by this whole card business thing, and you know, she only she 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 loves it. You know, she records my videos. She partakes in you know my adventures to go make those purchases far outside LA. Uh, go seek those opportunities. Um, and she's been there for me since the day one. Um, and yeah, shout out to my brother and my close friends as well here in Downey for helping me out. Big shout out to Carlos um, for doing, you know, starting my video editing team. Uh, he's right now working on a video, which I'm really excited for. It's going to be my first like YouTube level edited video um, that I'm going to release on IGTV and I'm super stoked for it um, for what the final product is. I know he's doing an amazing job. I've seen some clips. I'm super excited. I think we're all going to get some laughs out of it. <laughs> so yeah. Um, other than that, man. Yeah. I just want to give a huge shout out, uh, a huge shout out to, you know, the Henry Curry and the world of sports. <laughs> no, the, sorry. The world around uh, the world of sports and the world around it. Um, <laughs> so I appreciate you uh, for letting me come on this podcast and share my thoughts and, you know, share my, this time with me. Uh, it's been yeah, great, man. It's, it's a lot of fun. My, my pleasure. Um, closing thoughts real quick on just the health crisis and just moving forward, you know, positively through all this. Mm-hmm. I think um, it all comes down to one, listening to the science, you know, listen to the science, listen to those that, <laughs> <around> that. <laughs> yeah, 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 please. I, I want to say too, be considerate, be considerate, not just of your family and friends, but of those others in, in public, you know, keep your distance, wear your mask, you know, don't cough in their direction, please. And if you're coughing, stay home. Um, and, and number three, I just want to encourage everybody to like, you know, take the time to reach out to those you haven't talked to in a while, you know, check in on people. Cause because this situation has been really hard for some on, you know, on their mental health, on, on, on their, you know, personal goals and their, their, um, their being. Um, I, I know that we've seen a huge surge in, in mental health issues because of the loneliness, because of this, you know, pandemic, because of having to stay indoors and the disruption to our daily life. So I want to really encourage, you know, and that's, I think that's what I want to end with. Because, um, you know, as a mental health professional, it's something that is the most important thing to me. Um, Check in on those you love and check in on your friends. Check in on those you went to school with. Check in on your coworkers, you know. Take that conversation to that next level. Ask them how they're really doing because um, those kind of interactions can go a long way um, and you might end up saving a life. So just keep that in mind. Well, thank you so much again for coming on my show. I wish you the very best in your business, in your work, and everything else that you know that's going on in your life. And thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I was excited to have a medical professional uh, come on board. And remember, if you're looking for stories that go beyond sports and, you know, beyond statistics and everything, this is the podcast just for that. And I look forward to having you guys next time.